Later on, I realized that it was really, in terms of concept, far ahead of what other stuff that was shippable at that time, in that you could do graphics in real time. That was one of the main goals. Then you could do multimedia with it. That was one of the goals. And one of the key items was the thing to be able to run more than one program at once, which was quite common in Unix systems at that time, but unheard of in PC. Hello. My name's Adam Spring, and this is a Remotely Interested podcast, hosted at remotely-interested.com. So that piece of audio that we started out with was from Glenn Keller, who is now a mixed signal chip engineer at Fovian. So, you know, if you've got a Sigma camera, then the chip's inside of it. Glenn's kind of out of hand in. And he was also the former chip architect for the Pooler chip, which was the audio chip inside the Amiga computer. Now, you're going to hear a lot more about that system throughout this podcast, because my guest this episode is Zach Weddington. Now, Let me give you a little bit of a a backstory to this. I've known Zach for around about three years, and I've charted the evolution of Viva Amiga. As you'll hear, I've I've watched a couple of different versions of it, and in the background, given Zach encouragement when he needed it, because this has really been a journey for him, and if you have the opportunity to watch it, uh, go over to Hulu if you're in the US, and if you're in the UK or the rest of the world, there's an official launch uh, in January, and I do recommend checking it out and downloading it and, you know, looking to order physical copies when they come out and all that good stuff, because him and the team have done a fantastic job. Now, because I've kind of lived closely with this one for a while, it's going to be a little bit different to past podcasts. Uh, Zach and I put our heads together, and Rob as well, over at Rocksteady Media, and we've basically put together some clips. Now, these clips are from the film, but also as well, as we discuss, there's a lot on the... uh, on the floors, shall we say, of, of the Rocksteady Studios. And we've taken some clips that haven't been released and put them in with the audio interview that we've done as well. So, the players in this piece, besides Zach and I, are Jason Scott, archive.org, Kristen White, who went on to become a doctor of law and is now a field attorney. We've got Dave Haney, senior hardware systems engineer at uh, Commodore Amiga, or he was back in the day. We've got a new tech video montage. We've also got Tim Jennison, who is the chairman at NewTek. We've got RJ Michael, director of games at Google. Sadly, no longer with us as of 2016. Dave Needle. And we've also got a MAGFest montage as well. Whether you're interested in the subject matter or you aren't, it's a story all about the people. And if you watch it, that's what's going to come across more so than anything else. Now, for somebody that's interested in technology and people, I think this one really does get to the core of what this podcast is about in the sense that we discuss so many things that isn't just about bits and bytes and chips and silicon. It's about the people driving the technology. And I think the thing that really, at the core of it all, gets me about the Amiga as a computer is just that. The team that were brought together, they were family. And those bonds lasted after Amiga got bought by Commodore and Commodore went bust. And as you'll see if you read in the links below this, an article that I did on retrospective computing and consumer-led development, the users carried that on as well. I personally would like to thank uh, people like Paul Kitching, who, you know, responsible for several graphics for several podcasts, including my own at my SoundCloud and also the Retro Hour. Uh, He did all of the graphics works for this, or the majority of it, and it looks fantastic. And I would also like to thank Amiga Bill as well as the cinematographer because, boys, you did a fantastic job. So, I will leave you with Zach for now, and I hope you enjoy it. How did you get into Viva Amiga? I always wanted to make, uh, you know, my own film someday, but I never really thought that I had a good enough idea. And um, 
Yeah, a few years back, I started going to these uh, vintage computer festivals and um, like VCF East, VCF Midwest and, and made some friends there. And it just kind of dawned on me, um, you know, seeing these old vintage Amigas out and being used and uh, presented. And just it just kind of dawned on me that it might be a good idea to make a documentary about the Amiga. Since episode 16 of the Retro Hour, when you spoke to Dan and Ravi, it's now out in a way. So tell me more about that journey. From the moment, you know, that idea now to a finished film, milestones along the way, we did launch a Kickstarter a few years back and that, you know, that gave that gave us a little money to get going. And uh, yeah, I've just, you know, I've met people along the way in the Amiga community who could all help. This film is uh, totally, you know, like 100% user generated from the people that are in it to the people that donated time and services. And this is really lucky to meet a couple people like Michael Lee, who's a big uh, figure on the vintage computer scene. He's a collector and um, supporter of, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, in that network. And yeah, I got to know those people and they just helped me little bits along the way through the stage, writing the script and then getting it shot all the way through the animation, met more great Amiga people who you know, got on board and yeah, we, fin- we we finally pulled it off. Having known you now for a couple of years and kind of jumped in on part of the story in a way, I guess, in terms of your journey through this process is, you know, it's taken five years. You know, how does it feel now that you can actually, you know, it's on Hulu in December 2016. How does that actually feel? Actually seeing it out now, how does that feel? It feels pretty surreal, man. Yeah, you know, our official release date is on January 6th. We're doing a worldwide release on several digital platforms, and uh, we've also got some other deals and works with other streaming services and cable. It just it just feels surreal because this thing has been such a part of my life, and um, you know I just can't I can't tell you how many nights I've just been up late trying to get through this massive amount of work it really took to make the thing. And part of the reason it was so much work for us is we just had a skeleton crew. You know, at most there was maybe two to three people working on it at one time, trying to cover different parts. If it's graphics, if it's editing, if it's um, animation. And uh, yeah, we've all just been kind of taking it one step at a time. I think for a documentary of Viva Amiga's quality, there's, you know, there's more of a larger team. When I look at the credits of documentaries, I'm, I get jealous of you know people that have all these assistant editors and stuff to help them go through all the footage, but we just didn't have it. So we've, we've, we've done it all ourselves and um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad it's finally out there. It's it's beautiful to see it. You know, finally uh, seeing the light of day. I think a lot of people. I, I think a lot of people are go- are just going to love it. Honestly, the PR department of Commodore talking about Amiga was all about the art. They were like, "We are the artist's computer." I mean, this is a company that hired Andy Warhol to draw on an Amiga in front of a crowd of people to show you how awesome it was and how it was perfect and they had bb king talking about how he's going to use an amiga to make music from now on and so they were like let's get established artists we can afford and have them stand next to amiga so you can be as cool as that artist Along the way, you had From Bedrooms to Billions, the Amiga years come out. And having seen both of them, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I know you, but it's very interesting to see how they both tackle the same subject matter in a way. Because I think the thing that really hit home to me, particularly when I was able to watch it through a streaming service on a TV, was just the amount of visual information that you put into yours. Thanks, man. No, I, I really appreciate, yeah, that you that you noticed that. It's not even something that I think that, you know, that, that every, you know, Film watchers gonna necessarily notice, but 
they're going to they're gonna know it's different for some reason. You know what I mean? It was very interesting to see how you tackled things in different ways, particularly the way you end the documentary by showing what's still out there now, that people are still using, you know, this hardware, the software. It's still influencing people's lives. And I thought that was a really interesting spin on things. Yeah, thanks. You know, that's something that I kind of noticed in the beginning because, you know, uh, I, I haven't been an active Amiga user in recent years, but I've always just kind of, you know, when surfing the, the, the web, you know, come across articles where all of a sudden, you know, Trevor Dickinson being mentioned or, you know, like, hey, there's a new version of Amiga OS out, you know, in, in 2008 or whatever, you know. And I was just I was just amazed that the, the Amiga had still had some kind of a, you know, well, first of all, a fan base for the, you know, for the retro users and they're still all playing all the old software and games, but then people are still trying to and do come out with new machines and new software. So, like, when all that kind of, you know, I guess when I was trying to pitch the idea to friends and stuff, you know, when I met mentioned the fact that, hey, you know, this this computer that everybody thought was dead from, you know, the 90s on is still alive. People are still doing things. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people kind of celebrate this whole Amiga thing. A lot of it's just the people are all kind of networked in and hang out together. That that helps, too. I discovered this community that I didn't really know existed. Yeah. And I think I feel the same way in a way, because when I was chatting to Bill, who helped you out with the cinematography. It's very interesting to see how a technology like that can bring like-minded people together because whenever you meet people from that community, when you get on with them, it feels like you've been friends with them for years and it's a really weird sensation. It is. Yeah, we were lucky to get a, a great soundbite of um, this Amiga user named Kristen White. As soon as she discovered the, you know, the Amiga, it became her whole life and yeah, she makes that point in the film like you you know, if you're if you're lucky to meet another Amiga person, you're gonna strike up a conversation and talk about it right there because it's just kind of it's, it's like a cult, man. It really is it's sort of like a Elks Club of computer users. Once you're inside, you know there is a special kind of camaraderie. Like if I was to find somebody who is, you know, a diehard Amiga user just on the street, we'd talk for a half hour, an hour about the Amiga. I know we would, because if you're into it, it's the greatest thing in the world when you find somebody else who's who's into it what's what's her background anyway because that's one thing as as an audience member i was actually thinking because she was really interesting particularly when she was still using like an amiga 1200 until 2005 for example yeah here's the story on her she she discovered the amiga pretty late i think she said she got her 1200 and like 2000 or something she's younger she's younger than uh, you know than than most of us amiga users she found it late she found it in a thrift store and you know still at that time she was amazed with its power and it's you know really interesting design and interface you know fr from the workbench and just like regular tools she says in the film like yeah she, she made it her hobby to kind of keep this old computer alive it was a source of pride for her you know i never met anybody like her she um i i, I don't even necessarily remember how she found us. I think we got connected like friend of a friend on Facebook maybe. And yeah, um, she happened to actually live in Philadelphia. So it was easy to meet her at that time. She was um, a student at Temple University. Having been to your studio and seeing what you've got or having an idea of what you've got, how much additional footage do you have on top of what we see in the film? Ah, gosh, I don't know. You know, it's a lot. I, I'd have to take a measure of it. There's a lot of people um, that didn't, you know, make the cut because there was just we we wanted to keep Amiga short and sweet, not go not not go too much beyond an hour and some change. So we've got some, you know, I, I, it's kind of hard to quantify it, I guess, in terms of numbers. You got to go through it and see what's the most interesting. But here's the plan: we want to do 
little mini docs throughout next year that you know take advantage of some of this footage and address certain topics. Like it, the people you see in the film, we got them talking, you know, about other things. You know, like we've got Tim Jennison in there. I think for a total of gosh, maybe forty-five seconds of the movie. But you know, we we do have full interviews with him, um, other third-party developers, and of course the main guys like. Haney and Needle, um, you know, a lot of the great, a lot of the greatest footage and things they said, I wasn't even able to put in just for sheer lack of extra time, you know. For anyone who doesn't know about the film, yeah, we wanted to trace the Amiga from its launch all the way past when Commodore went bust. So there wasn't a lot of time to kind of meander on about certain topics. There's things like the demo scene. Which didn't, you know, didn't make it. We've got interviews with that. We've got coverage, and so uh, I, I do, I do want to share it with people, and I, I hope that they'll enjoy kind of some extra, you know, some extras, as well as some of that stuff. It belongs to the Kickstarter people, you know. And do you think there'll be a, a director's cut in the future that can add a few bits and bobs? We can do whatever we want, man. I, I, I also want to take this time to say, you know, thanks, like, you know, for any, for anyone who's listening right now, um, just to let you know, like, Adam has hand, had a, a hand in helping me quite a bit. Everything from support and cheerleading to helping me make connections, being with me at the Amiga 30th, you know, just late late night consultations when I hit a stumbling block. You know, there was times when you were really there for me and, and um, helped get me through, man. So let's do it again. I, I really hope to see you at the premiere. <laughs> I don't care what PC it is. You know, if it's a little faster, I'll change a few boards in mine and, you know, a regular person will probably go out and buy a new one. But you've got no emotional attachment whatsoever to that computer. It's just a tool. I've got a bunch of hammers. And, you know, I use this hammer for this and this hammer for that. But, you know, and I have some really good hammers. I've got one I've owned for 30 years and it's a great hammer. But if I lost it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It wasn't just a tool. It was part of something bigger. Following on from that as well, you know, touching upon the Amiga 30 event, it's been really interesting for me from an evolutionary point of view of the film because obviously I've seen about three or four different versions of it now. The The one shown at the Amiga 30 event was longer, it was about an half an hour longer and there were additional stuff in there and having seen that version, which was good, don't get me wrong, but the one thing I will say for anybody that's going to watch it with completely fresh eyes, it's now very, very tight. And I mean, thanks, you know, and it was good before, but now it's very, very tight. So I think I genuinely and I'm not just saying this because I know you, but you did You've done a really good job. You and the team have done a really good job. Thanks, man. You know, I wasn't I wasn't even necessarily planning to show it to anyone. But honestly, just with the time had gone by, we wanted to show that we had to show that it was a real thing. We knew it needed a lot of work, but the audience, they loved it nonetheless. And we got so much positive feedback. It, you know, it gave us the boost that we needed to go and finish it up, get it tight. Because the point of Viva Amiga from the beginning for me was this. I want to be able to turn this film over to somebody that's never heard of the Amiga and be able to explain why it was so cool and why someone would still care about why it's why it's still worth learning about. You can do that. You can do that with Amiga. I mean, it's, these these old computers are they're you know they're fading away in time, and um, it's hard to explain people that have grown up you know with these devices that we have now. You know, like amazing computing power on an iPad or just a phone in your pocket to explain what it was like to get this you know Amiga back in the eighties that felt like you were on the same track. You know what I mean? Working with multimedia, state of the art games. You know, stuff that stuff that computer PCs you know and now their electronics just weren't capable love you know it's hard to explain that to someone now but i think we did it yeah i think you did and i think it's also interesting because it's never been a better time for technology of that era in the sense that it's it's not like cable over in the u.s you know everything is decentralized now it's like you can go to youtube you can stream it and in terms of filmmakers like yourself you now have the option 
of so many different ways of distributing something and also from the production point of view things are cheaper than they were yeah yeah no that is that is such a good point you know like the, you know there's several links in a chain if you want to get a movie or, or, or a show out you know you have to have startup funds you have to have the the gear and the tools and then you have to have you know distribution and, and support and all that stuff and all that used to be really expensive and I could have never afforded to do something like Viva Amiga back even 10 years ago the leaps and bounds we've seen with the video technology is crazy you know you used to have, you used to, have to put together like you know a giant crane rig with all these people and technicians to get a shot from the air now you gotta just go get a drone it really leveled the playing field that all of a sudden uh, your stuff could look as pro as something on broadcast television because it was in fact creating work in the same quality And back in the day before the video toaster, you really had to be a member of the priesthood to have access to the, the kinds of tools that you could use. You had to be working at a TV station or working for a big production house. And we're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. And that thing, at that point, you were like, the Amiga is a audio-visual editing computer. It was astonishing. And, and what's funny is that when I became a teacher and I would show other teachers in other departments this tool and say like, hey, you know, instead of buying this titling machine for 5,000 bucks, why don't you buy one of these toasters for the same money and instead of having six fonts, you can have 600 and add more and have all this other stuff. And the thing I was faced with was that, uh, well, you know, computers are nice, but they're not gonna be a real important part of TV and film. There's a lot of material to look at and not much time to do it in. So pull up your VCR and your toaster and let's get started. On the distribution side, what's been your sort of biggest learning curve? Because obviously, as I'm talking to you, you're about to go down that next phase. So where you're at at the moment, what's been your biggest learning curve so far? I think just figuring out how all the pieces come together and what, you know, we, we signed a distribution deal with a company called FilmBuff and they're in charge of helping us get deals on the various streaming platforms and, and other networks and figuring out like what they do. Now, they're good at making deals, but we have to be the ones out there promoting it as it stands right now. We have to keep, you know, focusing our, our, our network on, you know, the latest details when it's coming out, making sure that, you know, people hear about the thing so we're, we're having to um, kind of do our own promotion and that's that's something that i wish i had a, a bit more there's there's nothing really for that you know what i mean like there's not a tool for that that you can necessarily do other than facebook you know facebook's very helpful but there's a lot of ways we could be getting the message out and um i think i'm going to just be exploring more ways that we can get you know get the film in front of people because you know we got to remember adam there's so many english amiga fans out there that probably still never even heard of viva amiga you know how how do we get in front of them. It's as much a mystery to to me as it is to a lot of you know other pros working in the field. You can get you can get it out on these platforms, but the more you can just spread the word. We're st we're still figuring out how to do that. We, you know, we're going to do interviews. We've got the premiere, which is going to help. But yeah, we're really learning as we go, man. Well, I think also as well as we've discussed, you've already got a positive uh, move forward in 2017. Now, maybe you want to talk about a little bit about your your phone call that you had yesterday, as of this podcast interview being recorded. Yeah, yeah, guy from the BBC randomly called my cell phone. You know, he traced he you know traced things from our trailer to I guess Facebook or something. And yeah, um, he does a show. His name is Adam Rosser, and he's on Channel Five on the BBC Radio. 
Um, yeah, he he wants to do an interview, and um, I was just looking back at you know some of the people he's he's talked to. Um, pretty big names, you know. Where do you want things to go next? Because Viva Amiga is very much a platform for you for the future. So if anybody watches it, they'll see that this is a full-on, full-scale production. Yeah, I I really do believe it's your platform to something else. So obviously, I don't think this is going to be the first and the last documentary you make. What would you like to do next? Well, we absolutely are going to do another documentary. We're going to increase the scale of it. We're 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 going to go along a similar vein with a you know dealing with computer history. I don't want to say too much just yet because we're not ready to like reveal the topic or anything. But in the in the beginning of next year, like sometime first quarter we're gonna pitch a new idea and see if we can get you know all the people that believed in viva amiga to just do it you know do it again you know um i have 100 percent faith in in the team that we have now to make great documentaries about all kinds of you know tech topics i'd like to have a career doing that you know if i if i you know i have a day job if i had my druthers I'd love to just give all that up and, you know, work with people like you to make to make documentaries about things that people really care about. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Especially focusing on the technology. It's just been it's just had such a huge role in my life. I can't think of anything else right now, you know, that I want to make films about. I feel like we've just gotten started, you know. Interesting enough. On that note, do you look at other people, obviously, like the guys at Cinemassacre and, you know, people like Norman over at the Gaming Astoria? Not, I guess they're not just like YouTube lovies, but they're also, they're, they're creating high quality, good content, Kim Justice being another. Do you look at all of these people and think, oh, I'd like to reach out to them? Or, or maybe you have spoken to them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've talked to some of those guys. You know, they, they've uh, they've created their following by kind of being like a personality, kind, you know, in a sense. Like they, they narrate their own stuff. Up there in their own films and yeah they're they've kind of made their, their names as like authorities on these topics and they're very good they're very knowledgeable you know angry video game nerds I, mean, I i don't watch a whole lot of this kind of stuff on youtube but i am all over angry video game nerd because he makes it entertaining my goal is to make things which are cinematic you know so that takes a lot of time you know i don't get quite the amount of content out but like i i really i'm kind of a perfectionist i look forward to you know doing something that's even more cinematic and grand especially in the terms of the CGI. Um, one of the cool things about Viva Amiga is, I guess it's probably about 30% computer animation that we created somewhere in there. And um, there is such an opportunity to use CGI now in documentary that didn't exist before. No one had really even thought of it. And the whole reason I got into filmmaking is that I loved CGI as a child. And um, to see where it's gone and the powerful tools that we have in our bedrooms and the amazing networks of, you know, modelers out there that are just anxious to, you know, to talk and work on things. You know, I'm, I'm excited for the future in that regard. TV station is nothing more than a bunch of boxes that manipulate information, even though there are these giant cast iron things it's just data moving from the camera to the viewer so the Amiga was the first time that the sort of uh, planets aligned where there was enough performance to do interesting things with video the Amiga was um, because of its heritage as a video game machine to hook up to TVs, it had uh, the standard video timing, so it was compatible with uh, TV cameras. Most computers weren't. You know, uh, at the time, a Macintosh was a sealed little black and white box. You had to have a special screwdriver just to open the thing up. Uh, the uh, IBM PC had 16 colors, if you count two shades of black, it was actually 15 colors, you know, and it was just uh, the stone age for video. But the Amiga was, uh, was uh, I could see it had the potential to be that video production box I wanted. I'm clearly a big 3D geek. What was it like to meet the guys from New Tech, to meet people like Tim? It was, oh my God. 
It was amazing. It was one of those kind of like textbook dreams that you would have about somebody that you admire. Because I, I knew who New Tech was when I was like 15 years old. And um, I was a toaster user for years and, um, you know, did, did some 3D and Lightwave. My favorite program was called Imagine. That's what I did most of my stuff back then. But um, yeah, I mean, those guys were legends. And to actually just be able to go there, have like really good casual shoots, get the footage we needed and be able to hang out with Tim Jennison. We had some whiskey and went out for barbecue and yeah, just, you know, really kind of get inside the guy's mind and uh, know what he was like. And I, I can see that he's he's one of these great people that's like equal part scientist and equal part artist. And um, those kind of people, I think, really make waves in the tech world, especially when you're talking about creative tools. You know, and new tech kind of started, you know, pretty scrappy. They they were, you know, they were a garage shop that, that was a success story. It's really one of the great stories of Amiga. I hope that people appreciate all the toaster stuff that we put in. Obviously, because of your background and how you got into it through the Amiga, that really comes across in Viva Amiga. And I think that makes the From Bedrooms to Billions Amiga years and your documentary complementary to one another because you both cover a lot of ground from very different angles. And it's, it's nice to see both of them exist and co exist in in the marketplace in that way I feel like those guys take a more eurocentric point of view with the amiga and that's something that i couldn't do just as well as i think that they they couldn't kind of tell the the american style like story of a you know of a scrappy startup company which amiga was you know in silicon valley i really wanted to put these guys in the context of the pc industry of the 1980s that was i thought you know one of the one of the cool things about the film is it's a bit it's just really focuses on this business story and this kind of scrappy American ingenuity. So you know what I, I focused on. I focused on that a lot. And those guys, those guys, you know, did, did the other side as a middle ground now of somebody that lives in the U.S. but grew up in that what I'll call the golden age of computing. I'll own it. I think that in Britain and Europe, the small boxes were a big thing because of the gaming. So yeah, from bedrooms to billions, the Amiga years, there you go. And in the US, it was clearly the big box. But with the big box, the story that went on over here, you don't necessarily hear about it that much because the Amiga was such a big player behind the scenes. And by behind the scenes, I mean in production houses and stuff like that. You know, I mean, the prime example, for instance, Babylon 5, the cluster of Amiga 2000s, for example, that we used to generate the pilot episode. But not necessarily everybody's going to root that out. But with the European story, it's kind of apparent because the small boxes were in every household obviously not literally but they were in a lot of households in the same way a video game console was so the awareness was much higher you know and i think you really do capture that spirit of what was going on in the u.s it was weird man because you know we we had this this great piece of technology that was you know created in the united states but it just did so much better abroad and um you know we touch on the reasons for that too like the the pc wars in in the united states were just a whole different game and i think i think that that the microsoft just had things so stacked up against any competition that there's no way you know with with the way the market was and, and what they had planned in terms of like scalability you know and they, the amiga couldn't i think have survived the united states much longer than it did because of just the scalability of the pc and this just kind of generic you know architecture that that wound up just dominating here like so crazy people would look would look at you like you're you're crazy if you weren't using a, a pc when we were growing up in, in the united states so like why are you wasting your time with that it's not compatible you know and so anything that the Amiga users could point to in the United States as a as a one of Amiga's like um, accomplishments. 
it'd be something like, well, you know, they used it to make, you know, Babylon 5 or, you know, here's a shot of Paula Abdul doing MIDI sequencing, you know, in her music video. Like, oh, there's an Amiga. It would be, you know, it'd be like, hey, you know, <laughs> we're winning at something. But that wasn't what most people wanted a computer for doing creative stuff. And then as far as games, yeah, I think Nintendo and Sega pretty much just had it on lockdown, man. The gap between Sega and Nintendo here was far bigger than in Europe. You know, Nintendo was like the main dominant brand, really, wasn't it? And also its licensing laws reflected that as well. And they own the marketing world. We you know we were watching Saturday cartoons. You're going to see, you know, ad after ad for Nintendo games, you know, systems. It's like. <laughs> now, I know you said in the past that, you know, RJ Michael was the sort of shining star of Viva Amiga. But in terms of the personalities you met along the way from going through this journey, who are the people that really stuck out to you throughout this process? Who are the ones that, you know, really you, you think about when you think about Viva Amiga? One of the people I was fortunate enough to meet you know, along the journey was Jason Scott, friend of a friend knew him and had back, you know, some of his documentaries like BBS, the documentary, you know, from the very beginning and, and became, you know, friends with him because he was a supporter. I got to know Jason Scott, too. And I got to tell you, Jason is just so knowledgeable. You know, he runs things at archive.org for anyone who doesn't know him. He's just a really knowledgeable guy on the on the computer and computer history scene. So, yeah, um, he also happened to be an Amiga fan. You know, Mike Lee uh, hooked me up with Jason Scott, and Jason Scott rolled in and gave, you know, very early on, like, one of the best interviews that I, that I got throughout the whole thing because he just knows what to talk about, and he's a filmmaker. So he he, he kept me on track. And, and also, yeah, you know, he was another person. You know, we'd be on chat late at night. He would he would say, hey, look, I know that, you know, this journey's long. This journey's really crazy. you got all these people wondering where things are, and, you know, you're hitting stumbling blocks and don't have money. He would just say, keep going, you know, because I, I can see that it's going to be great. And for someone like him, to have faith in the thing throughout the whole deal just, you know, is one is one of the things that made it possible. So so there's Jason Scott. Let's see what else. It was really super interesting. A lot of the uh, original Amiga team were all shot at one time, actually in RJ's living room, believe it or not. I finally managed to get connected with RJ after doing a, a few of the other people like Jeff Porter, Haney, Bill Hurd is actually in, the, in our footage. We'd shot those guys and, you know, RJ said he was going to help us out. And he actually rounded up as many of the original team as he could and threw a party at his place for us to shoot Viva Amiga. And there we were with Legends. So we tried. We tried real hard to cut a good deal with Atari. But sadly for us, those guys weren't interested in making a deal where they would bring the company into the future. They just wanted the hardware. They just wanted the system. They didn't want the people. They didn't even, it seems, really want, you know, the direction that we we're going in with the relationships that we we're developing with the software guys and, and, and the, the, the passion and the belief that there was in the Amiga out there. Did you reach out to the Tremils at all? Here's the thing. I was really scared, too. We did some <laughs> research on oh, Yeah. We, look, look, we we asked people that, you know, that were already in on the game, like these people I mentioned that we interviewed. And I'm like, what do you think? They're like, just leave it alone. It's it's funny because basically my wife is fascinated by the fact that I'm fascinated in all of this stuff. And she actually sat down and watched Viva Amiga with me the other night because I wanted somebody that completely fresh eyes, didn't really have an interest in the subject matter. I wanted to see what she thought. And as soon as Jack Tramiel came up, she was like, he looks like a guy you don't want to be around. We portrayed Jack for what he was 
an incredibly cunning, crafty businessman who, yeah, was, you know, just a major player in the game. You know what I mean? Like he's, I mean, when you look at the history of Commodore and, and all that he managed to do, we've, we tend to, you know, like, we tend to just think about Commodore's later days, right, with Amiga. But I mean, hello, Commodore 64, and then just yeah, being a major part, um, you know, player in the market for business machines, calculators. The guy, the guy was was a Bill Gates of his time, I I would say. The FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, hope I got that right, um, has rules about how much electrical noise you're allowed to radiate, what frequency bands, what amplitudes, so that you don't interfere with the operation of other pieces of equipment. There's also rules about how much interference you need to except before your operation starts to change. I was the FCC compliance guy at Amiga. I was way too busy. I needed to find somebody else. I was interviewing many people to come and do that. And what I was using as my example was the Atari 2600. Whoever it was that designed the Atari 2600 did a spectacular job. They had exactly the right ground looping in the back. They had exactly the right shielding and guarding of two of the big traces that went out. They did all the right technical things. So that's what I was using. And my interview question was for these guys, take a look at this, it's the Atari 2600, tell me why that inductor is there and why that trace is there. And one of the guys said, well, when I designed that board, I, okay, done, fine, you're hired. <laughs> Uh, it was the guy who designed it. He turned out absolutely great. He was a spectacular FCC guy. The reason that I talk about the FCC for the launch. So um, way before the launch, I do all the FCC testing out at the approved sites, uh, sleep overnight on their couch while they do the stuff because if you're not there, things go wrong and you need to help them make the right choices. And it passes FCC testing just fine. There's nothing wrong with the Amiga. It's just great. In the meantime, Atari, uh, who are digging down our throats. The day before the launch, they call the FCC. And so I have to go to the new FCC site out in the far depths of Long Island, cold, and run a completely new FCC test while everyone else is on the fun airplane going to the launch. So I miss the beginning of the launch because I'm dealing with an FCC test that is total bogus because Jack just called them up and said, hey, these guys are lying. They don't really pass FCC. And of course, we just passed FCC just fine. And I get to the launch a little bit late. I do show up at um, Lincoln Center with my alligator shoes, stomping around, making fun noise, and had a good time. And um, in terms of uh, Dave Needle, what's obviously, you know, things have changed with what happened in 2016. What's your fondest memories of recording him? Because obviously, you know, his wife was ill at the time when you were doing that interview. But what, what, what were the nice memories that you have? He has just a, a warmth that exudes on camera. He comes across as a guy that looks like he's just really having a good time. And um, I think we were able to ask Dave, you know, a lot of questions that, that he hadn't been asked before. Trying to really set the the mood of what it was like, you know, working for the startup and and um, his interactions with the people that worked there. Just watching his eyes light up, you know, as he was telling these, these stories was great. And then it was even better when I got to show him, you know, like a sneak rough cut of the film. I could tell that he, I mean, like he looked like a just looked like a kid, mm. you know, like on on Christmas to actually see, you know, finally someone had taken the time. To record this history, you know, just so thankful. And I, and I know that you also got to know him as well, you know, um, right right around, you know, what was it, the time of the 30th? The, the thing that I remember most about when he watched it at the 30th was the second time when you showed it on the second day. And he actually took the effort to sit down and review it again. But I mean, also as well, my memories of that event in general is when it finished and he and I were driving off. He said something that still kind of sticks in my mind 
a little bit now. I mean, it still kind of makes me sad when I think about it, actually. When we were talking about, wow, you know, there may be an Amiga 40th, he turned around and looked at me and said, well, yeah, I may not be here by then. So, Oh, wow. And, you know, I'm I'm not just saying that. He said that in the car, and I and I quickly turned to him and said, oh, don't, don't, don't be silly, you'll be here for it. You've got plenty of years to go yet. The future, 2017, it looks as though that you've got a premiere to go to. Tell me some more about that. We are premiering Vivian Amiga at what's called the Music and Games Fest, MAGFest in D.C. They have a film festival section called Games on Film. And in that, there's going to be uh, a whole bunch, I'd say, well, it looks like about 12 different films are going to show a lot of stuff dealing with games and, um, like, you know, uh, documentaries for game fans. I have to go take a list, look at what, what those are, Adam. Um, yeah, they're probably worth mentioning. But, yeah, there's going to there's gonna be about 12 documentaries. Ours is one of the, the stars of the show. And uh, yeah, we're going to have auditorium with about 250 seats. We're getting as many of the people that are in the film to show up as we can. It's a big festival, about 30,000 people expected this year. Yeah, it's going to be a party with lots of chiptune artists, video game music freaks. You know, we'll be flocking to hear these uh, different like chiptune bands and retro styled, you know, like video game musician there's a whole there's like a whole scene for this we, we have a little section of even amiga that deals with that yeah like these people who are using you know chiptunes outdated machines like the amiga to make you know kind of dance and you know the different kinds of like um, new wave rock music with these tools so yeah they'll be there you want to hear some music go check out that stuff and yeah watch a few watch a few you know retro gaming films and stuff Flipfest is a festival here in New York City, and um, it's been going now for a fair number of years. And it's basically a showcase of a whole load of chip artists from around the globe. Chip tune music is the art, I guess, of taking a games console or a computer console from uh, the days when they made their own sound, you know, the blips and the bloops. The, before you had, you know, just a full CD quality soundtrack, and you take those old machines and try to uh, write music for them. Within that restriction is the beauty of trying to make a track uh, and get it within the constraints. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I love the machine. Will you also be taking advantage of the VCF network as well? So for Europeans listening, the VCF Vintage Computing Festival goes on throughout the US throughout the year. So will you be tying in with some of those at all? We need to do a good VCF show, Adam, and, and get you there. Yeah, I need to thank the, you know, the Vintage Computer Fest. They, they're calling this the Vintage Computer Federation now. And oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the festivals are all kind of like under that umbrella. Yeah, it looks like they're even even bringing it all closer together. And um, yeah, we want to thank those guys because without VCF, the, the film just would have never happened. A lot of the people that helped me, I met through that. The game the inspiration by you know getting getting these great systems on display and having the people that created them actually talk to you and explain what they did i mean it was my i mean no wonder i came up with the idea for viva amiga you know i get to go and watch you know dave haney explain how he you know made the amiga 3000 like <laughs> so yeah they, they gave me the inspiration they gave me support and uh yeah i want to do a, you know we got to do a good show with them definitely now from my understanding you also have uh, an amiga with a video toaster don't you yeah i got a whole bunch of amigas <laughs> They're on. They're on kind of semi-permanent loan. Some are hooked up. Some are not. Some are in various stages of, uh, you know, crumbling. But um, yeah, do have a toaster set up. I just acquired a whole bunch more video gear. Um, a bunch of um, great switchers and other effects boxes that can connect with the toaster. I'm I'm trying to set up a good analog video rig upstairs. I realize since I do everything digital now, there's something that's kind of lost in this like 
analog graphics creation world. It has a cool retro look. So that's something we're going to be playing with, I think, even more on the next film. I'm a real fan of like uh, getting like vintage looks, you know what I mean? And that's interesting as well, because it kind of ties in with the chiptune point that was made by one of the artists in Viva Amiga, where he actually says, look, you know, this is an instrument. This is a, you know, tool within itself and it has its own subtle nuances. And, and, and yeah, you, you wind up getting a product that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, even think to to create with like these more advanced tools that we have now. You know, it it has a personality. It guides you in a direction. And, you know, they, they, they lend themselves well to experimentation. I think that's that's something that's kind of getting lost, I feel like, with our, our, our generation of tools that we have now. You know what I mean? Like some people are obviously pursuing it like crazy, but there was a kind of immediacy that came along with the Amiga and that like told it what to do right away and it reacted. You know, so much was done in real time. And um, the way I work now in, in, uh, in, in media, whether it's doing animation or, you know, editing video or whatever, there's this kind of like immediacy that was lost, this experimentation where you just keep, you know, you keep tweaking things live until, you know, you come up with something you love that that's not even possible with today's tools. So it's things like that that make me think that there is really some room out there for another platform of stuff, man. You know, like, can we think of outside the box on this on this PC thing? Like, there's other platforms out there and, and other tools, you know, that you could use to to be productive in, in different ways that I feel like people aren't even thinking about. And it could be done for cheap because all that all that technology is cheap. And I think also as well at this point in time, 2016, where obviously there is this buzz around what's perceived as retro technologies, particularly technologies from the 80s and the early 90s, is at that time you were working to the restrictions of what were in place and you were trying to hack around it. Yeah. And now you kind of have the ability, to, particularly with these older systems, to go back and apply modern techniques, tools, solutions, whatever you want to call it, to these systems as well. So it's kind of like if you marry the old with the new, I think good stuff can happen, but I think also as well, you need to value what the older stuff can tell you. And I yeah, think absolutely. I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And I also wonder, like, you know, in my podcast with John Matheson from NVIDIA, he talks about, well, good luck in five years time having a cell phone stroke mobile phone that works because the way in which things are printed onto a board now, it's not going to last. Is Will we start seeing that, the ephemera of the technologies we've got now, say, in 20 years' time? It's a good point. I, you know, I have devices I paid a lot of money you know, for from Apple <laughs> that I expected would at least be semi-functional for a lifetime, and they're just paperweights. And, and uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> other things I bought that are much older, I'm still using them. They still work. They still they still fire up. I can still modify them if I like, you know. Eh, something to be said for that. So if you want to check out Zach's documentary, I suggest you go over to AmigaFilm.com or check out the Facebook page. Also, if you go back to AmigaFilm.com, you'll see that there's a Vine, there's a YouTube, and there's also a Twitter account as well. Now, I think two people raised a really interesting point in Viva Amiga that we didn't really discuss in our interview are Hans Vessel and Marcus Vlaar, who were Dutch computer animators who did the series Perno de Perno. Now, they made the point throughout the film that, well, you know, maybe maybe Amiga j just should have stuck with its graphics capabilities and, and dealing with production houses and stuff like that and not trying to be a PC. But I think that point also raises another point. And if we look at the 90s and you look at things like Next, which got absorbed into Apple, and you look at things like Silicon Graphics Machines, which before NVIDIA were specialist graphics systems, well... 
that was at a time when a market was defined. But if you think about 1985, there really wasn't the market in place that the Amiga was looking to create. To me, that that makes it a pioneer. I think that's something that Vivo Amiga brings across really, really well. And I also think, you know, being slightly spoiled in the sense that I now have a, an Anglo-American viewpoint on things, to be able to see both sides of the coin, to be able to see what it did behind the scenes in the US with its big boxes and what it did in front of the world, or certainly in front of Europe, with the small boxes, that it was a success. I think the wonderful thing about where we are now in terms of media and distribution, the story of the Amiga is really coming out. Whether it's an Amiga, whether it's an Apple, whether it's any kind of product, I think if we are going to move forward as people with technology, then it's these kind of stories that are going to help us do it. Hello there, my name's Adam Spring. And I'm here to talk to you about a number of ways in which you can stay connected with and contribute to the Remotely Interested podcast. As I've said before, it's listener supported and I love to include you guys as, as much as I can. Anyway, the big two are iTunes and SoundCloud, which you can subscribe to. Also for SoundCloud, you can follow, you can like, you can share, you can do a number of things with the content that I put up there. There's also Google Play where you can check this podcast out. And there's also a Facebook page that you can like. Now, in terms of connecting with me directly, there's a Twitter handle, which is at that interested. You can also follow and reach out to me there. And there's also the remotely interested email as well, which is contact at remotely-interested.com. Anyway, I love doing this for you. I hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening to the show. dire straits and trevor dickinson came along and saved viva amiga he gave us some financial help he invested in the film he believed in it um he was flattered that we had actually even used him prominently in the film you know we shot his interview you know i shot trevor without fully appreciating who he was he just happened to be at this convention you know while we were getting a few other people that, that i already knew about trevor just you know like happened to be there promoting his products he did the interview for us and then you know, he was totally flattered that he was in it. And then he was even more excited the fact that it was actually a good film. So, yeah, he, he came along and saved us. Trevor, thank you if you're listening. Um, you know, I, I owe you big time.